Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Galatians chapter 5 is where I'm going to be. It's about seven-eighths through a paper Bible. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start with a video, which we normally do not do, but I think it makes a point. Uh, The video does not have sound for various reasons. You might figure it out later. So I'm going to try to commentate through the video. The video's title is this, Minor League Manager Goes Nuts. Let's watch this video. So this is uh, baseball. Every now and again in a baseball game, there is a bad call. And apparently what has happened is an umpire made a bad call, and a manager has rushed out to the field and is now believing that the closer you get to the umpire, the better he listens. So he's pretty close, right? He's angry at some bad call. Now, I've seen this before. I watched baseball where there's a bad call, and I've even seen this, right? The manager's trying to make a point. So he's covering up the plate, and what he's going to do here in just a second is he's going to draw a new home plate, trying to get the umpire to realize this is where the strike zone actually is. And so he's trying, and at this point I'm like, okay, he's done. He's not done. He is mad. He's now gotten kicked out of the game, and so what's he going to do? He's going to start picking up the bases. We have lost all form of self-control. He's, I'm, not, no, I'm not sure where he's going with that, but you know what he's going to do? He is going to throw the bases. That's what we're going to do. He's angry. Now, at this point, I realize he's off the rails, but he's going to take it one step further. He's belly crawling to the pitcher's mound to pick up the rosin bag to use it as a grenade to the umpire. We can stop the video there, but this guy has completely lost his marbles. He's lost all form of self-control trying to make a point. So here's my question. Have any of you ever lost self-control? Okay, I don't mean like you're at your home belly crawling in your home, right? Lobbing toys to your kids like grenades, but sometimes we struggle with self-control couple of examples in my own life. I'm not proud of these. Uh, the first is that came to mind. I have so many. The first that came to mind, this was uh, 28 or so years ago. I was interviewing for a job. It was an important job that I really wanted. And as I'm interviewing with a guy that I would be reporting to, he asked the typical interview question. Steve, what, what would you like to be doing in five years? And my answer, because I lacked self-discipline, was, I want your job. Now, just a heads up, if you're new to interviewing, that's a terrible way to answer that question, a lack of self-control. Just recently, another example, it was just this last week, my 15-year-old son is driving now, he's got his permit, he's actually a really good driver. I was in the car with him and he made a slight mistake. He knew he made the mistake, I didn't have to say anything. But in a small lack of self-control, out of my mouth came a dad jab. Have you ever had those where something just flies out of your mouth? And what I realized after I said it, and it wasn't anything nasty, it was just this jab. 
I realized after I said it, you know what? My 15-year-old son did not need to hear that from his father. That was not helpful in the moment. If we dig a little deeper, because it's not just losing self-control in what we say, we have a, a place here in the, in the vineyard for the staff. We call it the trough. It's where we put extra food. And so during a challenging day, I walk by it and I'm like, oh, bear claw. I think I might need some comfort. And I pick up the, right, I sort of lose self-control. And in the middle of the day, I'm now eating things that I should not be eating. I don't know what it is for you if you've answered you could use more self-control in your life. Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's uh, the thought that I had is you're so into exercising or the gym or, or, or self-image that you have lost all self-control of time and there's other areas of your life that are struggling. I don't know what it is, but we can all struggle with self-control. Now, just a working definition. I think this is important. It lays a foundation for the rest of the message. Definition for self-control, self-discipline is mastery over one's desires and passions. To behave in a sensible manner, not like the minor league baseball manager, right? Not only is it a behavior, I'm behaving in a sensible manner, but the passions and desires that I have, I can master those. When I was thinking about that definition, I quickly remembered three people that I used to work with before I came to the vineyard. On three different occasions, these people were highly skilled individuals, spent decades honing their craft, were brilliant people. But in a lack of self-control, each one of them at three different occasions made a mistake, had no self-discipline in an area, and ruined a part of their career and relationships. It's so easy to do because we have these fleshly desires that we struggle with. Galatians chapter 5 outlines these fleshly, fleshy desires. It says this, acts of the flesh are obvious. They are just obvious. They are sexual immorality, impurity, impurity debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The list goes on. Now, when we look at that, I realize that many of you don't struggle with everything on the list. Like, some of those are really bad. But I also realize that some of those, jealousy, hatred, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, envy, many of us, including myself, we struggle with those areas of self-control and self-discipline. Now, when we struggle with that, this is what the scripture says. This is what it's like. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. That's really clear. That's a clear image. If you lack self-control, it's like you have no boundaries and anything can enter you and there's no, you're on your own. When you lack self-control, you've got no defenses, and that's what Scripture says it's like when we lack self-control. If we go deeper, because it has an impact in our lives, Jesus says this about self-control, Matthew chapter 12. He says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. 
It's really clear. Everyone. That includes you and me. For by your words you will be acquitted, by your words you will be condemned. Wow. That should be a wake-up call. Even in Galatians when it says these are the things that the acts of the flesh, and we talked about them, they're debauchery and, and all those things that were in there. Here's what it says, the verse after that, it says, I warn you, as I did before, that the, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. For me, this is a wake-up call. Like, this isn't just, I lack self-control, so I'm saying some dumb things. This is the areas of self-control that I struggle with, I had best pay attention to, because I'm missing something. While you're considering that, I want to remind you we're in this series, and the series is called Encounter. And the whole point of the series has been to zero in on this verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power. I talked about that two weeks ago. Love. Pastor Mark talked about that last week. It was a great message. You should listen to it if you haven't. And today I want to talk about self-discipline or self-control. And here's the goal of the message. Here's where we're headed. For those areas that we struggle with self-control and self-discipline, I want to get us through the scripture into a place that we can have an encounter with God so he can give us self-control that lasts. Because the reality is you don't have enough strength, I don't have enough strength to have lasting self-control. We can muster up an afternoon's worth of self-control not to eat the junk on the trough, not to watch the stuff that we shouldn't be watching, but to have a lifelong journey of self-control, the only way to do it is to get it into an encounter with God. That is it. And so I want to look at Galatians 5 to do that. Now in Galatians 5, we already read the section about the acts of the flesh, and right after that is the fruits of the Spirit. You should read those later today. But as I was studying for this, to this topic... What I realized is the verses before the acts of the flesh and the verses after the fruits of the Spirit are absolutely crystal clear, brilliant when I think about self-control. And so I want to share those things, but before I do, let me pray. So Father, we live at a time where we all could use some more self-control. So likely a few hundred of us, God, have thought of an area that it would be nice to get a grip on that area of our life and self-control. So we pray, God, for an encounter with you. Holy Spirit, would you come today? Would you open up our ears and our hearts and our minds so we can hear you? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you grab your hand out, here's where we're going. A couple of things. Lasting self-control comes from a deeper understanding of the battle. A deeper understanding of the battle. Might be a weird way to put it, but I'm going to unpack it, so hopefully make it clear. Where I get this from is verse 17. It says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. <clears throat> When we're thinking about self-discipline, the text doesn't say you're in conflict with other people. 
It doesn't say that you're in conflict with another person, a family member, your boss. Aren't they a bunch of knuckleheads? It doesn't say that. It says that there's something deeper at play, and we've got to understand that. Ephesians 6 says it this way, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, when it says rulers and authorities, it's not talking about your boss, your parents, your spouse, the mayor, the president. It's not talking about flesh and blood. It's talking about the reality is that there is a devil. He does oppose us, and in our struggle with self control, he's the one that we're at battle with. We have to think at this deeper level or we'll miss it. I want to give you a silly example, and then I had quite a wrestle with God this morning on something that's a little deeper. Here's the silly example to make this point. I said earlier that on the trough every now and again, there's a bear claw will show up. How many of you like bear claws? That pastry? Come on. That is the best. I think it's from heaven. I really like bear claws. And so every now and again, I struggle with, when I see those, I'm like, oh, I need that because I need a little comfort. You know how much comfort I get from a bear claw? About 38 seconds. I can eat those babies quick. Now, on the other side of that, just to be clear, when I'm 65, I still want to be preaching the gospel. I still want to come with the same energy, if not more. I still want to be lit on fire by the Holy Spirit and go rush into the things of God. Like, that excites me today. I want it to excite me, and I want to have that much energy when I'm older. Will I have that if I rely on bear claws for my comfort? No. But that does not mean that I get mad at West End Bakery. That does not mean that I get mad at the person who put the bear claw on the trough. It's not against flesh. There's something deeper at play. Let me give you two more examples. God wants us to have really great relationships with our family. But wouldn't it be the plan of the enemy for him to wedge into relationships? And so what happens during family gatherings, instead of a bunch of sharing and love and kindness, we get together with our families and start lobbing verbal assaults back to one another. Or even before we get to the Thanksgiving dinner, we're arguing, well, I wonder if Sally's going to say this. She said it last time, so I'm not going to Thanksgiving. She's a big jerk. Hello, the battle is not between you and Sally or you and your family member. It's not flesh and flesh. The enemy has wedged himself in there and caused dissension. Do not agree with it. Or what about this? This is the one I struggled with God this morning on. Because I can use all the silly examples about a bear claw. But the reality is, we're living at a time right now where the world is telling our younger generations, Gen Z, that gender fluidity, that you can change your gender based on how you feel, is actually an okay thing. And we have, listen to this, 50%, this should be, a, I looked it up this morning, there was a survey in February, 50% of Gen Z believes that gender fluidity is okay. 
And what's happening is we have a generation that's setting aside self-control to go explore an area that the world said was okay, and that is not okay. Ten years from now, they're going to be in a complete mess. Well, it's my body. I get to do what I want. I can eat what I want. I can explore what I want. I can say what I want. Really, let's go back to the scripture. Galatians chapter 5. We read the first part of this. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit's what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. Thank you, Jesus, for such clear words. We are not to do whatever we want. We are not to explore the areas that the world and the enemy would love us to explore and take us down a path of ruin. When we do that, when we agree with those areas of the world, we put ourselves in the leadership position and we're like, oh, I'm I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take the lead. And we end up, said earlier in the book of Proverbs, when you lack self-control, it's like you have no defenses. You have no defenses. It's a bad position to be in. Biblical example, Acts chapter 5, the church is growing like crazy. Things are going amazing. And there's this couple, this married couple. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. You probably, some of you know this story. Ananias and Sapphira were talking, and the church at that time, since it was growing, they all agreed to put all their possessions together. Let's do this thing. Let's just bring everything together. And Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land and decided together, secretly, let's hold some of the money back. Lack of self-discipline, they put themselves in the leadership position, and they ended up into this encounter. Look at this, Acts 5, it says this. One of the disciples was confronting them. Ananias, how is that that Satan has filled your heart? Pause. Don't look at the screen. Look at me. Who filled their heart? Who filled their heart, this side of the room? Satan did. It was not Ananias and Sapphira. It was not flesh and flesh. It was Satan came in, gave them the thought, filled their heart, and now they're off in left field. And look at this. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, the land? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard it, he fell over and died. Same thing happened to his wife. They put themselves in the leadership position. They lacked self-discipline and control, but the battle was not between the flesh. There's a deeper battle at play. There's a better way to do this, and the better way is Jesus, to have him lead. Here's an example of Jesus. The greatest temptation story of all time. At the beginning of his ministry, he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Goes out into the wilderness. He had not eaten. I would have been hungry. So Satan tempts him with food, power, and control. Yet he successfully navigates that. I want to look at a clue of how Jesus might have done that. It's in Luke chapter 4, right at the very beginning. It says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness. Jesus, being fully human, goes in and is tempted, but his leader is the Holy Spirit. His leader is God in the moment, because God can provide everything that we need. Let me say that again. God can provide everything that you need in whatever circumstance you have. He is the leader that we should be relying on. So here's a question for all of us. In the battle, who's my leader? In the battle, who is my leader? If you're trying to lead this on your own, it's no wonder you're likely exhausted and feel like you're getting attacked because it does not work. Lasting self-control comes from a deeper understanding of the battle. Other thing in the text I see is this. Lasting self-control comes from being in step with the Spirit. You can write that down. Being in step with the Spirit. Verse 25 in our text today says it this way. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That seemed pretty wise. So that's why I made it point two. When I think about that, keeping in step with the Spirit, this is where my mind drifted to, this picture. If you look really closely, you will see Pastor Steve in that picture. How many other people in the room or online are marching band geeks? Come on. Yes. Very nice. So I did that all throughout high school. If you're not a marching band person, a key here in the center of the screen, there's a little white box. There's a person on that box. And that person was uh, called the drum major. And the drum major, his role was to keep everybody on the field in step with one another. Not just musically, but in step to make those whatever things on the field. And every now and again, when someone got out of step, he would point. And whenever he pointed, that meant you were out of step. Like the, the whole thing was supposed to be this beautiful orchestration where everyone was in step instead of people marching to the beat of their own drum. That would have been chaos. You get that? Well, the scripture that says that we need to follow in step with the Holy Spirit is a military term in the original language. It means to fall in line with the leader. So it's not too dissimilar from that. When I was thinking about this and thinking about, okay, so what does that mean? I thought of this, because sometimes I need to simplify for my own brain. You can write this down. For best results... God leads, I closely follow. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? But did you know that you can say, Jesus, I accept you into my heart and I will make you the Lord of my life, but then you never follow him. And it's not just following him for the day or one day a week. It's literally snapping into line and following him regularly. That's challenging. Just, just being transparent, that's challenging for me. It, it was challenging for the disciples as well. Jesus and his disciples were doing great ministry. This is an account in Scripture. They're going from town to town 
they're, they're preaching, they're doing amazing things, and they get to this one town, and this one town is not being respectful of Jesus. And the disciples are noticing this. Like, they're saying, well, what? this is Jesus. Like, this is the one you've been studying for and waiting for and praying about. Do you not understand who this is? Then they get really mad. And actually, it says this. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, the disrespect, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's a little aggressive. But Jesus, you know what we need to do? Because you're not getting the street cred you need. We need to burn them down. Let's just burn it down. But Jesus, the next verse, it says this, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. It was hard for them to be in step, even in their thoughts when challenges came up with what Jesus was doing. So if the disciples weren't perfect, if we're not perfect, what are we supposed to do? Now, I want to turn this corner into a, a way more practical, much more deep look at how do we do this. I don't want us to leave today and go, yeah, that was a pretty good talk from Pastor Steve. I just don't know what I'm going to do about it. This is such a big deal because the world is trying to rip us apart and have us believe lies that are killing us, ripping our future away from us, that I want this to be really practical. So are you ready to go deep and really practical? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Galatians 5. This is the end of the text that we read today. It says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus, you've made Jesus the leader. That was point one. It says this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What this means is, if I say yes to Jesus, if I walk closely with him day after day, that those acts of the flesh should die and I should never have to worry about them. But the reality is we still struggle. So what do we do? There are some clues that are really clear in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Here's what we do. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want to break this down. This is a two-step process. Take captive every thought. Some of you, this is the gold part of the message, and you should do this. Here's what taking captive every thought means. The next time someone makes you mad and you want to verbally assault them because they're wrong, don't. Stop it. Don't say anything. Or when the world tempts you to explore an area that sounds like, well, if the world's doing that, I should explore it. Do not. Take the thought captive first. Here's the reality. If I get mad at someone and I say something I shouldn't have, those words are released and I don't ever have to deal with those words with God. I might have to deal with a cleanup of what they hurt and caused, but I never have to go back and deal with why did that thought come into my heart in the first place to come out. If I've said it, I'm not dealing with it. Take every thought captive. The second thing that verse says is make it obedient to Christ. This is the one I struggle with. Because in reality, taking every thought captive, for me, I'm okay with that. I'm not perfect, but I'm getting better. But what happens is I take every thought captive and I stuff it. Oh, I want to say that, but I stuff it. 
and stuff it and stuff it. And then something triggers me and the things that I stuffed and never dealt with come out worse than they came in. And it hurts people. I cannot just stuff it. I have to do this other thing, which is make it obedient to Christ, which means I take those thoughts and I bring them into an encounter with God and let him deal with those. So how do I do that? Let's get way more practical. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If I take every thought captive, if I'm struggling in an area, I take that captive and I present it to God. And look what happens. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Pause, don't read anymore, look at me. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I've met too many people who want to know the detail. Well, how does that work? How do I figure that out? It doesn't work in my brain. It's not supposed to. In Scripture, it says it transcends all understanding. You're not ever supposed to figure it out. What you're supposed to do is take those thoughts that you stuffed and present them to the Lord and have him do the work, and he gives you the peace of God. That's what we should do and get out of, well, I need to figure that out. Stop it. Maybe that was just for me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's self-control. When we do that, we actually get the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the last one, is self-control. He gives, up to, gives it to us. You don't have enough strength to muster up enough self-control to last your entire life. It doesn't say the fruit of you is self-control. So how do we do this? How do we make it even more practical? How do we present those requests to God? I'm going to give you four questions. That sometimes I use these questions when I'm struggling with self-control. I'll present them one at a time. If you want to take a picture of them at the end, they'll be up. You can take a picture of them. But here's what I use when I'm presenting these requests to God. These are good in-step in the spirit questions. The first one is this. Why do I have that desire? So this is just a dialogue between me and God. I walk past a bear claw. God, I really want that. Why do I have this desire? You have this desire, Steve, because you want comfort? Come to me for your comfort. Don't go to the bear claw. It's a silly example, but take it to your own context. Why do I have the desire to look at things online that I should not be looking at? Like, it's, the, it's that question. It's just gold when you do that. The second, what's the truth in this situation? Oh, if we did this on a regular basis, the world is a liar we have a generation that is growing up believing so many lies, opening their mind to so many things. And my prayer has been, God, in the middle of that, will you use this question to change someone's trajectory? There are things that our kids are being taught, that our young adults are being taught, that they should not be exploring. And an encounter with God will impart the truth. They're searching for truth in a world that doesn't have the truth. The next one, is this a good opportunity or a future mess? Oh, I wish more people, 
I wish I did this more often. You're presented an opportunity. Should I date someone? Should I get married? Should I go here? Should I take this job? Should I move? Should I, whatever it is. God, will you reveal to me if this is a good opportunity or if this is a future mess? This last one, if I'm hurt, how should I respond? Maybe you've heard this, hurt people hurt people. So if someone hurts me, my natural instinct, I want to hurt them back. But the best thing to do is to present that, take that thought captive, present it to Christ and say, God, I am hurt. How should I respond? You know, Jesus was hurt many times as he was doing ministry, but several times he never responded. He just kept silent. And I think in those times, he was just presenting those requests to the Father. If you want, you can take a picture of that. Those are super. When we use questions like this, it takes our thoughts that we've taken captive and it brings it into an encounter with the living God who has your best interest in mind. Hello, your people that sometimes you hang out with, the news, the school, wherever. Not everyone has your best interests in mind, but the Lord does. And when you partner with him, you lack no good thing. He is on your side. And so when we present those requests to him, we're inviting him into this encounter. If we do not do that, we are marching to the beat of our own drum, and that will not provide us lasting self-control. It just will not. So here's the question for all of us. You can write this in. If Jesus is my leader, how closely am I following If Jesus is my leader, how closely am I following? It should be incredibly close. Not just one day a week. It should be moment by moment. Lasting self-control comes from a deeper understanding of the battle and being in step with the Spirit. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.